there's really just nothing like sitting in a theater or in a dark room with your film or series playing on a big screen and you can just hear people reacting the way that you hoped and you can kind of just like feel the energy of how what you made is resonating with people. It's so incredibly nerve-wracking but also so fulfilling and just exhilarating and that feeling is a big part of why I love festivals. I'm Christina Rea and welcome back to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down film festivals. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod or via email BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. Also, if you want additional bonus content that we develop to go along with every free new episode of Breaking Out of Breaking In, subscribe to our Substack, uh, breakingoutpod.substack.com. Five bucks a month, 50 bucks for the year, uh, or free if you just want to get notified of new podcast episodes, but you don't want all the awesome bonus content that we've developed (laughs) for this podcast. But why wouldn't you? (laughs) I know. Like for this episode in particular, we've got a bunch of stuff. We've got a lot of templates because like film festival stuff is so much about like just keeping track of what you're doing so that you don't end up spending twice your budget on film festival submissions, Mm -hmm. a thing I have done. Um, I mean, granted, my budgets are small, but like when you double it for film festival submissions, you've done something incorrect. So we've got some tracker uh, templates for you to try to keep yourself on track um, the way that I never could. Uh, We have also got like a little checklist of like, should I apply to this film festival? Kind of a little infographic to remind yourself each time, is this what I should do? Uh, We also have some tips and tricks for... um, using film festivals to your advantage, whether it's amidst COVID, which obviously changes the rules quite a lot. And don't worry, we'll talk about that in this episode as well. Uh, But as well as like our tips for making film festivals worthwhile, like once we are able to attend them again. And yeah, I have a lot of opinions. I'm going to try and be concise in this episode, (laughs) but it'll be hard. Uh, So where should we start? Yeah, yeah. So I tried to kind of put the questions that we got throughout the episode. Um, So we have a handful of questions from uh, a composer whose name is Edith Mudge. And Edith asked, what's going through a filmmaker's head when they decide to apply for any given film festival? Because obviously Edith is a composer. They're not usually the ones doing the the submitting, but they have obviously been a part of films that have been submitted. So Christina, what is going through your head when you decide to apply for any given festival? Well, before I get to myself personally, I do want to acknowledge that I think a lot of filmmakers don't think about why they're submitting to any given festival. Um, I mean, you can say me, Christina. You (laughs) you don't have to be subtle. Um, Well, no. Uh, Most (laughs) filmmakers, though, I think treat it like playing the lottery. This is just Mm -hmm. a huge part of what I think filmmakers do and what needs to change. Um, And it's going to kind of be a thread through this whole conversation where... A lot of the time it's just like, you know, it's a numbers game. You hear that a lot when it comes to mm-hmm. everything really in the industry, but especially with festivals. And I think people interpret that as just like, oh, I need to submit to every single thing and just hope that I get into like 
um, because that is sort of like 10 to 15 percent is sort of a typical or generally good acceptance rate, which I think is like should not be the case. Like that's not yeah. not a good thing. Um, and so really most people don't think about their goals. So for me, I always think about goals. For instance, I made a short affliction that was on the circuit last year and my overall goals as a filmmaker I have a lot of them but generally speaking I want to work in the genre and genre work I want to do horror movies and horror tv affliction has genre elements but uh is not a horror film and so while I for like my personal goals would want to submit to all of the genre festivals out there I had to be very very specific about which ones made sense for this particular film and so that's really where it starts is like what are the festivals that are going to be right for uh this film both from a obviously like genre perspective but also from their audience like what does that audience want from this festival what does this festival typically program for their audience does my film make sense with that we can sort of dive into that more but then also i think about what filmmakers get out of that particular festival and if those check the boxes that I'm looking to get out of this film's run. Yeah, I mean, like most of what I know about festivals I've learned from Christina, um, but I haven't (laughs) had like a major new project that I've been going out for submitting for a while. Like buy-in, my last short, my first foray into the sort of like true horror thriller genre um, was on the festival mostly in 2019, although a little bit in 2020. Um, and for that one was the first one that I was genuinely intentional with. And the ones that I tried to focus on were festivals that fit the genre specifically. So like thriller kind of stuff, not just like any horror place, because like a monster movie styled horror fest wasn't going to be good for our kind of slow burn psychological mm-hmm. thing that we were doing. Uh, festivals that were local to New York or New Jersey, because we really wanted to try and attend as many festivals as we could. Turned out that we got to go to one, which was very nice, but then like, you know things started to shut down pretty quickly after that so we could not attend but we tried to submit to places that we thought we could theoretically get to so that we could be there to represent our film and to like attend a Q&A and meet other filmmakers and um, also just places that I thought would give us any level of like industry access we didn't do a lot of that with buy-in because for me it was more of a experiment than it was something I want to do like something that I was conscious of when submitting buy-in to a bunch of film festivals was I don't want to be known for drama directing because Mm -hmm. as much fun as this project was I was like yeah I don't want to do this again (laughs) this is not the kind of work that I want to direct and I you know I I love that film and I'm really proud of it and I'm I'm proud of a lot of the directing choices I got to make because I got to really like expand my repertoire but I also learned I don't want to do more of that so I didn't really want to get a ton of industry attention for this for this film in particular at least for me as a writer director but my co-writer and the star of the film does want to do more stuff like this So that became more of a balancing act for how can we put him in positions to be featured as an actor, but like not really worry about me as a director. Would I like to be recognized? Sure. But I don't want my big break to come from this because I don't want the expectation to be this is the work that I want to keep doing. So that was that was sort of the things running through my head for this project in particular. Yeah. So as you're saying some of that stuff, I think it's really important to kind of make note of like what are some of the goals that you could have for festivals? So Some of the ones that I think about are, okay, do I want to make industry connections? Do I want to build an audience of like real people as opposed to industry, as opposed to other filmmakers? Do I want to reach real local people? 
Um, do I want to attend informative panels with, you know, people that are experts in specific areas and can speak to certain things? Do I want to just go to a bunch of fun parties and, mm -hmm. and like meet people that are sort of at my level and maybe just, you know, maybe some people above my level, but generally just want to like party? Um, <laughs> and do I want to get press? Do I want to like build a claim? in this particular genre or for this particular film or just like myself as a filmmaker. Those are, I would say, the typical kind of goals that you would see a filmmaker having. And I don't know of a single festival that accomplishes all of them. Like that's yeah. a reality that you need to start with. The biggest thing is like, okay, let's say that you want to make industry connections, then sure, like Sundance is the place for that. But if you want to reach local audiences who aren't just a bunch of industry people, Sundance is definitely not the place for that. No. It's really getting yourself out of the mindset of like, I need to just submit to everything and I need to hope that I get into just these top tier festivals because of like name recognition. Because a lot of the time, really depending on your goals, those festivals might not actually accomplish your goals. Um, you know, there in some cases especially with shorts, getting into a top tier festival can kind of have like a trickle down effect with other festivals where like, oh, you got into Sundance, so you will get into these smaller regional festivals and local festivals and you can kind of do both. But with features, it's really hard because unless you have the publicist and the money to like sell out a theater, it's really hard to then like create enough momentum and success out of a feature at a top tier festival that's like such a small fish in a big pond that it then gets invited and screens at these smaller festivals and gets that local audience. And so I think really like you want to start with goals and what's your number one priority mm -hmm. and be really realistic with yourself there. I also think uh, it's worth mentioning that industry connections can happen at festivals whose inclusion won't get you a claim. So like yeah. there are a handful of festivals um, that make it a make it a priority to connect filmmakers to as many industry people as they can get their hands on, but they're newer festivals. So being like an official selection there, it feels nice because it always feels nice to be an official selection, but it doesn't really mean anything outside of the context of the people who also attended that festival. But if that festival was put together with the express purpose of connecting you to people, then that might be worth it for that. So sure, you're not going to get the acclaim, but you're going to get, you know, the prize. You're going to get the mentorship meeting out of it. Like you're going to get to meet up with this industry member or get introduced to agents. Like there are a handful of festivals out there that nobody really knows about, but people attend and they have made mm -hmm. it their point of this is what our festival does. There are also a ton of great festivals that program really wonderful events and have amazing panels and workshops. So it's more of like a conference than it is a mm -hmm. festival. And that also has a distinct place in your strategy. So it's not to say that, like, you know, you, you sh the only way that you can get really anything is going to Sundance. Otherwise, you have to, like, you know, deprioritize your aspirations in your career. It's just about, like, doing your research. Look at what yeah. a festival actually offers. What have they done before? Right. And also look at, so look at what they accept, what they program. Because it's not mm -hmm. just about it's your goals. It's about their goals. So like there are some festivals that I absolutely love that I would just never submit my films to because I don't make what they're interested in programming or I am not at the budget level that they program. Like they ha all of their stuff has sure. names in them and none of my stuff has names. And so I just know like that's not what their goal is. 
At the end of the day, they have a mission of their own and they're trying to get butts in seats for specific content. And so whether they're like giving their audience what they want or what they think that audience wants or they're trying to like take the audience that they have and and make them watch something very specific, like watch a content that has a perspective, there is always some sort of intention in the programming. And you really want to make sure that you are being strategic because it does cost money. I mean, like early bird deadlines tend to start at a minimum of $25 and late mm-hmm. deadlines can be as much as, you know, 100 bucks. And if we're talking like Sundance and other top tiers, then like that's, you know, you're starting much higher, even at the cheaper or lower cost. And so you want to be really strategic. Like Sundance, for instance, on average, accept two to three percent of submissions because they just get an overwhelming amount. And when it comes to features, there's a lot of invitationals happening there. Like if you really track It's hard to say what is really a cold submission when we're talking about festivals at that level because if you track those directors or writers or producers, you can probably see that they were previously part of a lab of some kind or that Mm -hmm. producer has had multiple titles in the festival before. They're an alum. Or there's like celebrity power driving that and and it was sort of a shoe-in already. Um, And so it's hard to even say what the acceptance rate is at a festival like that. And even the smaller festivals, they're inundated with so many submissions. I mean, the average festival accepts as few as like 6% and max like 15% of what's submitted. Even a kind of like no one's heard of it, it's just like in the middle of nowhere, gets barely any attendance, they're still getting a ton of submissions because Film Freeway is just like such an easy thing to navigate. And on the filmmaker yeah. side, I think filmmakers are like, it's only $20, like let me do it. And then before they realize <laughs> it, it's like they've spent $3,000 because all of these yeah. are just $20, you know? And Film Freeway doesn't have an, an easy way to track how much total money you've spent. You can mm-hmm. like, it, when you're checking out, obviously it'll tell you, but they don't have like a totals system. And I think they do that on purpose. Um, so I, I just want to say two things though about what you just said. Uh, so the first part of it is um, I was actually talking to a listener of ours recently, shout out to Carmen, and we were talking about how uh, a lot of the times when you get a festival rejection, like sometimes it has to do with quality, but a lot of times it has more to do with the programming mandate. So like you were saying, Christina, mm-hmm. sometimes there is a particular thing they're going for that year, but also even for festivals that don't really have a theme beyond like, you know, we do short films, we do web series, whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times they're also programming against other things that have already been accepted. So it's not a matter yep. of, is this a better piece of work than this, it's more of, well, we've got three of this kind of thing already. We don't want to mm-hmm. just program a whole, you know, shorts block of, you know, this type of story. We don't want to do three superhero things. Like we already accepted two superhero things. Unfortunately, this one's just not going to make it in. And it's not a matter of this is better or worse. It's just based on the complicated calculations of yeah. making a event work together. This just doesn't fit. So that's something to keep in mind for, you know, imposter syndrome-y stuff. Like, most of the time, I would argue, it's not about you. It's about everyone else. Totally. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's relative to what else is in the pool. And it's 
about runtime. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like these few minutes make a big difference in how many films we can fit into this block. You know, sure. sometimes it's like if I accept this one, then I have to reject these two, or I can accept these two and reject this one. And like, yep. you know, a programmer is going to want to probably pick two films over just one. And so sometimes it's it's a matter of just like, sort of a luck of the draw like if you had submitted a different year maybe you would Mm -hmm. have gotten in because you wouldn't have been up against those particular films or you wouldn't have had these same themes or the same subject matter as these other films that are have already been um selected and that's why i do say you know submitting early i think is better not only for your pocket you know how much you're gonna spend but also i find you want to be one of the like early ones that someone has already fallen in love with so that when something similar comes in later they're holding it against yours as opposed to you being that later one sure it could go both ways though I mean you could also be like forgettable because you came in so early but generally in my experience and also from the programming side when I see one that I'm like I really love this one I want to like hang on to it and then something comes in I'm like well I've already set my heart on this one and and Mm -hmm. they're both good can I make them both work or you know if I'm gonna cut one if everything else is sort of equal across the board I probably will cut the later one just because Mm -hmm. from like an emotional perspective that one is already you know has a place in my heart I've like built a you know a whole block around it in my head or even literally like on paper and titles and stuff and so the other thing that I want to acknowledge is that these are human beings with human bias and human opinions that also play a huge role um, in, in festivals and in programming. It's also then very important to acknowledge that festivals are overwhelmingly white and male in terms of who's mm-hmm. running them and who's programming them. And that's just like a reality. And that also goes into my decision making. I look at the programming team. And if the programming team is either like, I can't find them, they're not on the site, but I know mm-hmm. the festival director is a white guy, but then they're not showing like their their team that I'm like, okay, it's probably a bunch of white guys. And they're not just like, they don't want to put that out there. Or if I can see that, it's like, oh, there's one token woman or token person of color or, you know, a t- like both in one situation where it's just like a bunch of white guys and one black woman. Like that's usually not what I want to submit to because that one person is probably going to be outnumbered in like this democracy in terms of like what's compelling and what's resonating with the team as a whole. Um, And so those are things that you just want to kind of pay attention to. Sometimes it is about you, but that's because the person who's making that decision like doesn't think that there's value in in the perspective of someone like you. And that's just Mm -hmm. a reality of, of, you know, the world. And like that's that's why I think we have to really kind of not think of like festivals as these entities that we want to be chosen by. But really, we need to choose them, too. Sure. And something that I have also done like real homework on in the last few years is digging into the personal lives of festival directors because I remember one festival that rejected my first feature years ago um, and who knows like it got rejected all over the place you know so wasn't like specific to this but I did notice that the festival director had a Blue Lives Matter post on his Facebook And I was like, well, I don't even want to fucking screen at his festival. And I regret (laughs) giving him my money. So like (laughs) since then, I have made it a point to just kind of dig in. And it's like, you know, whether or not that person's private opinions are um, reflected in 
the like mission of the festival, undeniably it like ripples into the culture of the festival and the programming and and what that person is going to like put their stamp of approval on. Totally. And so the same way that they like look at our websites and they read our bios and they probably look at our social media, I think that we should totally be doing the same to them. Totally. Yeah. And I, I do want to say, though, on the on the on the flip side of that is that like the festival director world is smaller than you think. And in the same way yeah. that like we said in our collaborators episode, don't be a dick because word travels. Mm-hmm. It works the same. If you're a jerk to a festival director, if you are difficult to work with, if you take a while to submit your materials after being selected, like any number of things. But if like you are known as somebody who is a jerk in the world, a lot of times um, not only will fellow like festival directors talk but a lot of the times people like Christina and I end up programming at festivals you know Mm -hmm. Uh, fellow filmmakers will end up programming so don't make enemies because (laughs) if it comes down to like is this film or this film like which one are we going to choose and you have personal experience with the filmmaker that like they're a bad seed and they're not going to add to the culture of the festival you're probably not going to get selected Yeah, I think, you know, also to like talk a little bit about the festival side, there's a lot of like, oh, they're just after our money. They just like are trying to rip us off. They're not really considering our films. And I would say that by and large, festivals would love it if you submitted less. Like the the biggest thing I always hear from festival directors or programmers is, you know, they didn't read the submission guidelines. So like we're we're considering all these films that we can never even program because they don't meet the requirements. Or these are just like not films that are that are festival quality worthy you know like these Mm -hmm. are there's promise here but they're just like not at the level they need to be at and they shouldn't be spending the money on the submission fee and so there's definitely some shady festivals practices and and festivals and I will will totally elaborate on that in a little while Um, but I also want to like say that on their side they for the most part are often very underfunded a lot of the time. I mean, I'm not talking about like the Sundances and the South Bys of the world. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the like regional festivals. A lot of the time they're run by volunteer staff or, you know, the festival director is not paying themselves. Maybe they're paying their staff. Maybe they have like, uh, you know, local arts funding. But if their genre, especially, there's usually like not anyone that wants to fund that. It's not like art from a, you know, (laughs) that from that perspective, unfortunately. Um, And so it's a lot of like people who just love film and love filmmakers trying to put art into the world and bring in an audience to appreciate it to like counter just the mainstream repetitive stuff that they're exposed to. Um, And so to give them the benefit of the doubt, I think that they they really would love it if you also thought about goals before you just like (laughs) submitted to everything because yeah yeah, and not all festivals are created equal uh, and so laurels don't mean anything really um Mm -hmm. there are of course some that are going to like impress your peers more than others but it's one of those things where like having you know a hundred laurels on your poster almost just becomes completely un like just I can't I can't even understand it like I can't I'm not even reading them individually it's just overwhelming as -hmm. opposed to having like five that are really impressive because they come with very specific things that 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 accomplish goals or say something about the quality of your work totally 
But let's let's talk about festivals not being created equally because we actually have a question from Ezra, our new editor. Everybody mm-hmm. say hi to Ezra. Uh, what makes a quote unquote good film festival? Are some not even worth submitting to? Uh, and he also kind of expands on this just to give some context. What is the hierarchy of film festivals? Why is it the some are better than others? Sundance, for example. How do you know when you're ready to submit? So let's unpack what makes a good film festival. Christina, what in your opinion are the <laughs> building blocks of a good festival? Uh, so in my opinion, a good festival is one that has real intention and integrity behind their programming. So they don't just like accept everything or anything. And there's like, there are programmers that are part of it that have real sort of quality standards and pay attention to things like inclusion and representation and just generally are trying to fulfill a certain kind of artistic mission whether whatever that may be um they get like actual attendance so it's not just a room full of the you know eight filmmakers who made the eight films that are screening (laughs) (laughs) those are kind of the two things for me like that's a good festival as far as i'm concerned i don't care Mm -hmm. if it's gonna get like written about in the trades i don't care if it's going to get me a whole bunch of press of course there are perks and i will talk about like all the different ways something can be good but from my personal perspective if you are giving me like quality programming that i'm going to be proud to be part of and an audience beyond like who i would reach on my own then that's a good festival yeah i would say for me um the other thing that i would add is the alternate to having genuine audience attendance is programming an event that benefits the filmmakers beyond the screening. Because there are some festivals Mm. that are more industry or uh, filmmaker oriented. And if that's the case, it can't just be a screening. I think that that's a waste of everyone's time and money, Mm -hmm. especially if you're like selling them tickets and you want them Mm -hmm. to attend the award ceremony. Like I don't want to just go to an award ceremony because it makes me feel like I'm at graduation. I hated graduation. (laughs) Graduation is so boring. Like even when I'm happy for all these people around me, like I'm not going to pay money and like get dressed up and travel just to like sit in a room and hear people's names rang out and like watch a bunch of movies especially when I can see those movies elsewhere so if this is going to not be an event that is going to be promoted to an audience but it's going to be like it seems like they're depending on filmmakers both who were in the festival and filmmakers from the local area to attend then I want to see panels programmed I want Mm -hmm. things that are beyond just how do you build an audience because like that you never get good answers from a question like that Um, you know I want to see genuine like thoughtfulness put into the events they're programming, the opportunities for networking, how easy they make it to meet people at the festival and mingle, how like thoughtful they're being in like what kinds of events they're programming and who they're putting on them. I don't want to see an all white panel about mm-hmm. like how to break into the industry. <laughs> you know, yeah. that looks yeah. bad. And so like those are the things I'm looking for if I'm looking to attend for like my own career development versus mm-hmm. audience development. Sure. I would I would say that 100% that I kind of take that for granted a little bit because I do live in New York and like I know that if I want networking or if I want to go connect with some other filmmakers I have so many opportunities to do that and so when I think of like a festival that I want my film to be part of it's always about audience for me Um, but that said like I definitely want to connect with other filmmakers, especially ones that I wouldn't meet otherwise. And my mm-hmm. favorite ones are ones that have like real opportunity to meet each other, to talk with each other. They have Q and A's that aren't just like, 
like what was your budget and what inspired it and like everyone just goes like assembly line down the row and then they get (laughs) off the stage and like we never interact with each other ever again I want a moderator who's seen my movie before they ask oh my god yeah seriously (laughs) Q&A is like a huge part of when I what what makes me decide if a festival life is great or just like okay that's the Q&A experience is big for me um Mm -hmm. because I want to talk about the work and I want to talk about the craft and I want to like get audience you know engagement and reactions and I want to know that someone like who programmed my movie noticed my use of red like you know like there's just (laughs) something that's really that's what you get out of a festival because otherwise like why would you why not just tell people to watch your film on Vimeo or YouTube you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I'm looking for that engagement when I when I go to a festival that's really what I want out of it and yeah and so also to your point for instance like horrible imaginings is one of my favorite festivals from just an experience perspective and they get really amazing local attendance from like horror fans not just the filmmakers and where is it based they were in san diego originally but they moved the last two years they're now in santa Ana at the frida theater it's a pretty cool theater it's like very um they have all these graffiti looking art all over the place of old horror movies oh cool <laughs> um, so it's really cool. very much picking like they're, they're sticking with their branding yeah totally I mean the theater invited the festival to move because they were basically like you can do this here for free because we love what you're doing and we want to like build more culture here um, but they get local attendance and they do a lot of fun engagement type stuff like I went in 2019 and they had this like local zombie ballet troop like come in every, between every block before every block they would do like a, a zombie ballet performance um and it was just like very weird and very fun but it's not an industry festival even though it's always like on top lists like it's always on movie makers top genre list uh, which I'll bring up in a little while when we talk about like how to figure out which festivals you want to submit to but mm-hmm. it's not really an industry festival um but then on the flip side that same year in 2019 I screened at nightmares film festival and it's like they don't really get audiences it's mostly filmmakers but they get a lot of filmmaker attendance and they get a lot of um distributor attendance and so Mm. while I wasn't like getting the audience engagement I was hoping for I got distribution for my short The Gaze because I, I met the head of programming of Alter there and she liked my film and so that's another thing is to say like a festival doesn't have to check every box. You kind of, again, want to be strategic and say, like, okay, I can get what I'm looking for with audience from this one, but I can also get the, like, bigger industry things from this one and be strategic about how you approach, like, your premiere status and stuff like that. Totally. So I think then uh, what I want to talk about next is sort of the flip side of what makes a bad festival. What are what are red flags, if you will, for film festivals? You, you kind of want to do your homework. And, and I will say what's unfortunate about this world is that there isn't like, there isn't a lot of transparency and there isn't a lot of, there isn't one place to go to just like research. It's a lot of asking of other filmmakers because unfortunately I think that filmmakers are afraid of like being blacklisted by festival directors so they often don't speak out when they're, when they have a negative experience. Mm-hmm. And I do understand that but I also like I personally when I have a really negative experience I will like tweet about it or something just as like a warning to other filmmakers because if that like really really shady festival is run by that person I don't really care 
to be chosen by anyone that is also associated with that person. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's again, thinking about like, so what if these a bunch of assholes don't choose you? Like, do you really want to be chosen by them? Um, But if it's a festival that just like rejected me and sent me like, you know, a really like they didn't even send me a notification before they before they announced their acceptances, which is like a very common thing and a big pet peeve of mine. I'm not going to like shout them out on Twitter and be Mm -hmm. like, fuck them, you know, totally. Totally. Um, so yeah, so let's let's talk about the red flags for film festivals. How can you tell immediately, mm, probably not for me? So the biggest one is, does it actually exist? <laughs> because <laughs> the way that Film Freeway works is there's really no vetting process. Like they don't verify that you've happened before, especially if you're a first year, like they don't, you can put anything up. One thing I do appreciate about them compared to sort of without a box, which was the industry standard before, Without a Box used to charge festivals just to be on. Film Freeway mm-hmm. doesn't, which I think makes the barrier to entry, you know, easier for lower funded festivals. But it also means that literally everyone can upload like 70 festivals if they wanted and yeah. just pocket a whole bunch of money and no one is making sure that they're really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the guidelines, like you can see, it, mo- most festivals will put in their god li- guidelines that you're they're like free of liability. There's like some sort of copy there that you're consenting to when you submit. And so yeah. then it can make it really hard for you to try and get a refund when you realize maybe that they're a scam or that they like misrepresented something. So um, doing your homework about whether or not they've actually happened before whether it's like going to their facebook page and looking at albums to see if there was ever a photo of any kind of screening Mm -hmm. uh if they are first year looking at the people who run it and if you can't find their names anywhere like film freeway gives you a section to list who the people are and if there are no names and you can't find them anywhere probably not worth your time and money Mm -hmm. one of my biggest pet peeves that is so prevalent but also really hard to track is festival directors screening their own work in competition. Yeah, there was a whole drama about that a couple of years ago about the, uh, I'll just say it because they're not going to listen to this, but the Indie Series Awards a couple of years ago. It's Mm. a big like um, web series, not even festival, because I don't know if they even screen. It's mostly an awards system. Um, And there was one year where either the festival director or somebody high up in the festival had a a web series in competition. And not only was it in competition, but it won multiple categories of awards. Mm -hmm. Um, And I haven't, and that, that was a couple of years ago. So maybe it got like resolved, but I haven't heard anything about the indie series awards in quite a while. Uh, And yeah, that was that. I know a lot of people who were like, I'm no longer going to submit there because that left a bad taste in my mouth. So sometimes it is a a matter of history rather than something you can instantly look up. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because you have to look at, like you have to look at the award winners, you have to look at past programmers programs and say like, oh, sometimes it's not that the festival director was the director, but they were the star or they or were the, the producer. producer. Yeah. It's it's common a producer thing. And so, so some people are kind of like, well, if they're a filmmaker and they run a festival, they should be able to uh, screen their own work. And I'm of the opinion that if it's taking a slot from someone else, then I don't think so. If I they're agree. creating their own slot and it's out of competition and mm-hmm. it's like a special presentation and it's very clear that it's their own film, like 
you do you fine but and it definitely shouldn't be in competition for awards like it would be one yeah. thing to screen your own film and maybe you know I can see a, a universe especially for the festivals that are like they have a big jury of people and like the jury mm-hmm. happens to be like either alumni filmmakers or just fellow filmmakers that they've met before like having a special like alumni screening or like staff screening block something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. but that should not be in competition because like there's no way to be completely bias free for that like whenever yeah. I was in a position for programming especially when we were watching like the first cut of things like we were we were just narrowing down what we even want to consider I would explicitly not be assigned to things that I knew the person on like you know whether Mm -hmm. they were a great friend or a mortal enemy I'm like I can't be objective here so I need somebody else to vet this first and you just can't do that especially for awards if you are considering people that you know personally. Yeah, it's so common though in New York festivals because there's so many here. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a joke. It's sort of a joke. I mean, thinking about it as a filmmaker, could you, because I run a monthly screening series called Indie Works that's only for New York filmmakers. And like, if I went around and was like, oh yeah, my film Affliction won at Indie Works. Like what, (laughs) you know? Like, shouldn't you be embarrassed to tell people? It does, how is it a good look? Like who does it actually benefit? Because if anyone does any digging, if they're trying to like invest in your next film or they're trying to, you know, distribute it and and you're like, it's award winning and then all the fucking awards are your own, like your own festival. So yeah, it's, it's, incredibly strange but a very common practice that on principle I just won't give money to these festivals that do it totally Uh, I have a question for you, Christina. I'm curious what your opinion of this is. Something that has always rubbed me the wrong way is festivals that charge by category you want to be considered in. And on Mm. a programming side, I understand why they do it. So it's the principle of you you have like a base submission price for, you know, I want to be considered for, you know, best in category. But if you want to be considered for director, for actor, actress, things like that, you have to pay an additional fee, sometimes as much as the original fee, usually though, like a smaller fee. So it's like 40 bucks for just a general submission and then 20 10 to 20 bucks per additional category you want to do um and i that i get it because it means it's a lot easier to determine like it is hard to kind of look at a a group of 40 films and be like which one gets best director but like but i I mean i'm i'm against it (laughs) because because it's not it's like then you're only in the pool if you can afford to be in the pool. Then it just benefits mm-hmm. the fucking rich filmmakers like everything else in this industry. So why even bother then? It's like, well, why don't you just call the award something that's really transparent? Like, mm-hmm. you know. Best director of people who wanted to pay 20 additional dollars. Yeah. Like put the price tag next to every award that somebody yeah. had to spend to be considered for it. Yeah, no, I'm very against that. I would never do it. And I would probably just like boycott a festival that does it just on principle. Um, I do see value in charging in when they charge for different categories, like a feature versus a short. Like, of course, if you're paying your screeners, which something you maybe also want to look into as well. Like, are they paying programmers? Are they paying anyone? Otherwise, like, what is necessarily the difference in that price? But if it is to pay people, it makes sense that you're paying people more to sit through a two-hour movie versus a five-minute movie, you know, right. like X amount of submissions. Of oh, those. totally. Yeah, features should cost more to submit than than yeah. shorts. Absolutely. 
But yeah, yeah okay. I'm glad we're and on the some, same page because that's always rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, I get it because it is a lot to go through all of them, but also like that's your fucking job. So yeah, it's like don't offer awards then. Um, mm-hmm. And usually, most festivals, or at least the ones with like integrity, will have some sort of exterior jury. So it's yeah. like the jurors are only watching from maybe like the ones that the program or said that like these are award worthy. Watch mm-hmm. these and make your choice for winners. Yeah. Um, I also will say that's. I think there could be an exception when it's like there's prize money. So it's like if you want to submit for consideration because the pool of prize money is going to come from this extra money, like mm. maybe then I could see that. And that is sometimes the case with screenwriting competitions sure. um, where there's like an additional award that you can qualify for, but it's like you have to pay extra and it that's where the money's going to come from. Um, but if there's no money that they're giving to anyone, any of the filmmakers, then like, hell no. Yeah. Okay, great. What else do we have? Um, I mean, like, general things that just always look bad. Like, if there's no social media listed and you, you mm-hmm. can't find the festival. Um, if, like, pre-COVID, a lot of online festivals are low-key scams because, like, what are they doing for yeah, you? Yeah, totally. Um, like, there, there are exceptions to this, but look into like again remind yourself what is your goal because yes this festival might only cost five bucks to submit to but like what are you getting out of it Mm -hmm. you know like yeah maybe five dollars is a reasonable loss for you but over time a that adds up and b like you're lending your work and credibility to a thing that probably isn't worth it and that also matters yeah and i think also even if a festival is worth it like so I was on the festival circuit last year with this film that I really loved. Um, and he's still, the filmmaker is still on the circuit with it. And he just announced his 100th acceptance to a festival. And I was oh, just wow. like, how many festivals did you submit to to get to 100 acceptances? How much wow. money did you spend? And especially during COVID where it is kind of the same experience over and over again. And it's mm-hmm. hard to say how much like a real audience is actually attending online festivals or virtual festivals. It's hard, like, I don't really know the numbers. I think, you know, a lot of the festivals that I've been part of that I have really loved during COVID, they have sold out their screenings, but like, I don't know who's really buying those tickets and if it's locals and if it's real people or if it's other filmmakers, I don't know. But even before COVID, there's no way in hell that he was planning to attend all 100 of those festivals. And some of the festivals are ones that like, I've never even heard of. and. I don't mean just in an industry way. I've just like never heard any filmmakers say anything good about them. Say like, oh, I had a great time or I, you know, I met a bunch of people and I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you really getting out of a hundred festivals? There's no, like he had to have spent at least $5,000 on submissions. There's no way he spent less um, with the amount that he would have had to have submitted to. And I'm positive he started with top tier festivals just based on like knowing him and knowing what his goals were and like obviously wanting to submit to every single thing. So he probably got like a good 20 rejections before he got his first acceptance because that's usually how people start. They start with top tier festivals, see what they get rejected at and then like kind of work their way down trying to get the best premiere possible. Yeah, so like that blew my mind. And I'm of the opinion like I usually will stop at 10 festivals. That's usually where I we'll stop with a festival, uh, with a film. Um, The point I was going to make is if you're not going to be attending the festival, then all you're really getting is laurels. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you maybe will get press. You maybe will get 
maybe an award maybe there's award money that's rare but maybe but if like those things don't happen what are you really getting out of all of those festivals other than just like a really crowded poster of laurels Mm -hmm. so I'm always of the mind that you should again break down your goals pick the festivals that are going to be most likely to accomplish those goals and that you could realistically attend and like save your money instead of submitting save the money for the cost to attend Mm -hmm. because you want to maximize that experience as much as possible you want to stay like beyond just the day your film screens you know you want to go to the opening night and closing night party if you can you want to like eat at all the cool restaurants in this new city that you're exploring that's like one of my favorite things about festivals is just checking out the local restaurants um and then like we you bump into other filmmakers and you're like hey do you want to sit with me like let's chat we just watched that film because we were like we recognize them from a film screening that you were just in and like it's a really fun way to just sort of explore a new town or city and have like a bunch of people you know who are doing the same or people you don't know who are doing the same thing and you can make these authentic connections um and that's like really the value of of a festival is attending Mm -hmm. That's just to say that if you don't, see, if you look up festivals and you don't see a really tangible thing that you would get out of that particular one, don't waste your money. Mm-hmm. Yes, hundred percent agreed. I wanted to talk about a few quick things. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so, so lightning round with Christina. Right. Okay, so one is there's a world of of monetized festival runs that most filmmakers don't know about and they should know about. Uh, so for features, if you are making a film that is like addressing a very specific issue, maybe it's a documentary about a social justice issue or like an environmental issue, or if it's a narrative film that has name actors, you could possibly get represented by a distributor who, who specifically represents you on the circuit and they will get you screening fees from some festivals. That is like a little known Um, fact that exists it's very hard for narrative films to get represented unless they are by uh, unless they have actors who are recognizable stars but it's a very like prevalent thing for documentaries it doesn't really exist for short films or for web series or anything like that it's a very specific feature thing Um, there the I just want to kind of like acknowledge that that exists and it's something you could pursue but you also should know that some festivals are not transparent about the films that they are inviting and paying for that for like they have a distributor they're looking for a film that's going to you know bring in audiences because they've got star power or whatever and you don't know if they are uh, putting it in like a special category so I'll say that there's like two camps of festivals the ones that do it right and do it with integrity are putting them in some sort of special category they're putting them in out of competition or a special presentation or a um like a headliner, and then they have their competition features that come from the paying submissions. The ones that are not doing it with integrity and unfortunately make up the vast majority of festivals are putting them in the in-competition slot with the features that are also paying. And so sometimes that means that, you know, if you're paying 100 bucks for your feature to be considered and you think that it's for 15 slots, it might actually only be for 10 or it might only be for five. Or in fact, in the worst case scenarios, it might only be for one or zero like it's it, it can be really egregious and so um 
that is why for features especially you really want to do your homework on like past programming look and make sure that they screened not just your genre and your budget but like your star power or lack thereof and ask those filmmakers how they got in did they get invited did they get screening fees did they get a waiver did they um actually pay and have like sort of very clear by the book way of getting into this festival um so just like be aware of that and if you're making a film that you think could qualify there are some some um distributors who do represent you and so you can kind of do your homework there so there's an overwhelming amount of festivals there are thousands literally thousands and even you know when there are kind of regional festivals a state could have you know a dozen others and it can be really hard to decide what you want to submit to so there are some kind of general places to start. So I usually every year will look at movie makers lists of 50 film festivals worth the entry fee, 25 cool, coolest film festivals, and then they also do a genre one for the best genre festivals for the world in the world. That said, it is important to note that those are written by people who have maybe only attended once. They're very much like starting from a place of, okay, which are the ones that are worth attending? So it's sort of like they're deciding which ones are maybe not even worth their time and they might be really small festivals that are actually really lovely and nobody pays attention to them and they'll just never make a list like this. Uh, sometimes it's like they just went on a really amazing year. Like I submitted to the Capital City Film Festival because it was on the list in 2018 and I screened my feature in 2019 and it was a lovely, like cool, fun experience. But the reason it was on the list in 2018 is because the person who picked up the writer from the airport was like a just random volunteer who offered that guy free drugs and then like invited him to <laughs> the festival director told me this like this is this is like a story that he will tell because he almost got in trouble then because people were because part of the review then in movie maker was like you get all these accommodations for free and like they have this like amazing party and the party was like not actually affiliated with the festival but it was filled with drugs and like debauchery and so <laughs> and so that's like why it was on the list um, so there's that is like it might just be a very specific experience that the writer had at a festival that isn't actually re representative of the festival as a whole. Um, and sometimes it's there's just like a little bit of kind of like bias, shady, you know, like relationships that are happening where it's like they know the festival directors or there's just something in place there. Um, and sometimes it's that a festival can like be really great, but then a new person takes over and those things that were great are not actually relevant anymore. And like you would be surprised that festival, um, not necessarily the festival director, though like Sundance changes pretty regularly. There's a new one this year. But um, even the like regional ones, sometimes the head programmer will change. And even if like the main person who started, like the founder sticks around, the team tends to have a lot of turnover for festivals. So you may find that like what made it great is not, and what got it on that list is not relevant the following year or years after. But it's a good place to start, especially like long running festivals, I would say. Um, and then the other, the other tool is Film Freeway. They have lists of like best reviewed. I will say though that Film Freeway buries negative reviews. 
Um, and so, and, and I have also been like very, very aggressively solicited by festival directors at times to give five-star reviews. And like, I don't do it just because of that, but I know fest- filmmakers feel pressured to do it. So it's mm-hmm. not like a perfect um, way to filter out, but it, it, I would say that generally, like I only give five-star reviews to ones that I genuinely loved. And I don't give negative reviews unless it was like, horrendous experience that was like sexist or something but I generally will only give a five-star review or nothing at all because festival directors like don't want you to give them anything less than five star and I won't do it unless I think it's a five star so yeah so that's just like a place to start and then I would say just word of mouth like doing your own research looking at films that have similar festival runs that you want to have or Um, looking at films that are similar to yours and looking at the festivals they screened at in either scenario you kind of want to like use filmmakers and their experiences and whatever they share on social or on their blog in my case I do actual recaps um, but really try and learn from from filmmakers and what people are saying about them about the festivals totally Okay, so let's wrap this up with COVID. (laughs) Yes, I think that's smart. Um, So COVID, you and I have both had small festival. You've had a bigger festival run amidst COVID than I did because I I was like a half and half. Like I had like, Mm -hmm. it was basically a school uh, year of submissions for me. I had like the first half of my festival run in the end of 2019 and the other half in 2020. Um, So I don't really have a lot to say about COVID you know filmmaking experiences but I definitely like or COVID um, submission experiences but I will definitely say I'm not only not making new work right now but probably not gonna submit to that many festivals even if I do have new work because Mm -hmm. I don't just want the laurels anymore like that's not what I'm in this for um Mm -hmm. so yeah what has been your experience Christina on the online circuit um it's been mixed so you know I wrote an article early in COVID about how it was necessary and we're gonna put that in in the bonus content um because I just knew it was like you know it's not safe to have festivals in person but we want them to stick around so they need to like exist in some form for right now and it has been mixed like some have done it extremely well and some have done it terribly. Uh, and the biggest thing for me, again, is like engagement. And I constantly talk about horrible imaginings and I promise they don't pay me. Um, I really do just love their approach to everything. And I think it's because Miguel, the festival director, is just so incredibly thoughtful about the fest- the filmmaker experience. Um, and he's not a filmmaker himself, but he's just like a nerd who loves movies so much. And he like honestly horrible imaginings was the gold standard for covid festivals for me because they they did a a bunch of unique things so they had the films available to watch on your own schedule the whole time however they had a watch along calendar so it was like you can do it on your own time but if you can't like if you have a day job or whatever but you can also be on our schedule like this is how we would have programmed the festival if it were happening live and q a's were set up that way so that the watch along would happen and then the q a would happen immediately after and i tried to stay on it as much as possible so that i could attend the q a's and 
they had from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day of the festival, they had a Zoom, um, what do they call it? It was like a lounge, I guess, Mm -hmm. which was the equivalent of like a green room or a filmmaker's lounge where people could just like pop in and out. There was always someone from the festival representing in the lounge. And they would do things like play trivia or just have like, a conversation about a topic and people could chime in or they could just sit and watch if they wanted. And it was a great way to make connections. Before the Q&As, they invited filmmakers on early so that the filmmakers could talk to each other and like compliment each other's films and like make actual like authentic connections before the individual Q&A started. Um, and they were just like, They had a private Facebook group that was for all the filmmakers, too, of that year to connect and get to know each other. And they were very, they made it feel like a live event while also having the flexibility of just like a world where so much is happening on Zoom that maybe you don't want to be on a schedule. And it's not the equivalent of just like taking time off from your life and going to the festival. It's not, you know, like they, they kind of accommodated both. And... I loved that I and I it's the one festival where I have like stayed in touch with the filmmakers I met that were in my block or in other blocks Um, and that's because they really facilitated that like networking and and appreciation of each other's work that you would get at a live festival none of the others have have I actually like stayed in touch with people Um, and I would say like the quality is a big factor there because the films were so good that I wanted to stay in touch with these people you know sure so yeah that was like the best one for me where I was like, oh, it was worth it. But then there were some where it was the equivalent of my film just sitting on Vimeo. Yeah. And that was my experience with a lot of them. <laughs> I was like, what? I, I should just make it available. Like, I don't I don't know why I right. would direct people to buy a ticket when I could just put it on YouTube and have the functionally the same amount of audience. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, yeah, why would I ask people to pay for this festival if they're not like offering this unique experience? Mm -hmm. If I don't feel like the quality of the programming is worth paying for overall, if none of it is going to the filmmakers. Like Mm -hmm. one thing I will say, Oxford Film Festival, which has rejected me like four times at this point, (laughs) I've never gotten to that festival, but they give, they do give feedback. And it's one of those festivals where like, I really respect Melanie who runs it, even though she rejects me every fucking year. But um, <laughs> like she, you get you get notes from three separate screeners and the feedback is so wildly different across the, the different screeners that I'm like skeptical of just like general, like I submit like because I support. Yeah, but it's just like who, like who, there should be a cohesive vision here that they're trying to support. And it's like this person is saying that the acting is like a two and this person called it a 10. And I just like don't understand how they can have <laughs> such different opinions. But um, the one thing I do really respect about the festival this year is that they were they were doing revenue splits for their virtual mm. tickets for the filmmakers. Um, and I think that in 2021, as we're continuing now having to be in in virtual festival world, that that should be a thing uh, as much as possible because it does eat into your own distribution. Like undeniably, it eats into it. I don't regret. I was in. I was part of ten virtual festivals with Affliction in 2020. I don't regret any of them um, because I had planned for them to be in person, and so it wasn't like I submitted knowing that they were going to be online, but undeniably a lot of the people who watched online would have watched 
online like right so that's that's a big thing for me is like I put my films online after a festival run because it's for all the people who have been following the film but have not been at any of those festivals because festivals for me are for local audiences that I would never reach otherwise in this world with COVID that was not the case it was all those people that are usually waiting to see it who got to see it right away and then like there was no build up and and finally getting this like explosion of people sharing it and saying like oh i've been watching this for a year and i'm so excited to finally see it and you should check it out like there was none of that it was it was like a more sporadic you know people would say like oh i watched your film at this festival because it was free and like you know really great job and and i didn't have that same momentum and like build up that usually results in way more hits of my film online than was the case. So what is your advice to people this year who are submitting with the knowledge that it will be online? Yeah, so my advice is try and think about goals. <laughs> you know, it's it's harder when if your goal is like local audiences because again with Affliction for instance, we were try- it's a film about consent and like trying to get like good men <laughs> People, men who consider themselves allies and like good guys to think about the their the lines that they have crossed in the past and really like have a more nuanced conversation about Me Too where it's not just like either you're a piece of shit or you're not, but it's like everyone has everyone has crossed these lines because it's about the culture and we need to really push the culture forward. And so I really wanted to screen it in specifically conservative areas because I felt like that's where the conversations are not happening, you know, most. So I didn't quite get that and I and I don't know if I could make that happen in a virtual run because like Oxford I would love to ask Melanie like are people in Mississippi really paying to watch virtual or are this just other filmmakers who have always wanted to attend your festival and are now able to do so virtual like what who are buying those tickets because another thing about festivals is that by and large the the audience of when it's like local people they tend to be people that are retired like retirement age it tends to be older people um because they a can afford badges i mean festivals are not cheap and b they tend to be the kind of person who can like go to a matinee screening on a weekday right um and i don't think that those are the same people that are watching online so uh again the whole point is what are your goals and what's realistically accomplishable in a virtual world if it's to make connections then I would really focus on the ones where you know, if you look at 2020, you know that there was a lot of engagement, networking opportunities for for filmmakers, that there was like press that came out of the festival, that maybe there was like actual distribution that maybe came out of the festival, because you can't really guarantee audience, like it's just really hard. And then thinking about what is is or isn't going to eat into your um your local audience. So for instance, I'm really debating right now because I do have a short that's on the circuit. I would normally submit to some New York festivals that I do love, but I know that my online audience is primarily the New York people I know. And do I wanna like lose that audience to an online New York festival or do I wanna not do the festivals this year and save that audience and only focus on festivals that are going to geo-block to specific regions where I won't have my own audience driving traffic. Like those are the things that I'm debating and you wanna kind of think about as well. Like are they geo-blocking so that only, and like Horrible Imaginings for instance was only available to the West Coast. And so I knew that like the genre fans on the East Coast 
weren't going to be exposed to my film unless they were a fil filmmaker in the festival because then they got like a, a non-restricted badge the way that I did. So like thinking about that, are they geo-blocking? Are they capping the amount of people who can watch? Because if it's unlimited, then like everyone could watch it at this one festival and then that's it. That's like your entire audience that you have in your pocket to use to build momentum from. Uh, so those are the things that to really think about and just talking to other filmmakers. Like that's what I did a lot of at the end of 2020, I was like, okay, what did I experience? I'm not gonna submit to these again, especially if they're gonna be virtual again. What are some things that I saw, even if I didn't screen with them? Like, what, where, which ones looked like they were a lot of fun? Which ones looked like they had a lot of social media engagement? Which ones got press and reviews and things that I'm interested in for my next film? Yeah, uh, I was just gonna say email us, cause like, I mean, Christina is gonna be probably the one responding, but if you email us mm. breaking out of breaking in pod at gmail.com, um, we may have a opinion for you or we can or tweet at us and we can retweet you and get the fellow filmmakers who follow us uh, to, to chime in because like people are people are willing to give the information out and, and be honest with each other. You just got to ask. Um, I will say just to since I haven't shouted out any particular festivals, I do feel it is my duty to shout out Starable Fest, which is a festival that I helped run for three years, even the third year, though I was not working for Starable anymore. But I do think that Starable Fest has always been my my platonic ideal for a festival because it is very filmmaker focused and it is very mm -hmm. networking opportunity focused and even in this year one of the things that they managed to do in the virtual space is they were able to set up even more meetings for filmmakers with industry because previously with a New York based festival any industry who is LA based we would either have to like figure out how to budget flying them out, mm -hmm. try to make it so that like they could attend for like half a day and make, you know, get some meetings together or they weren't able to be included. And they were like, well, whenever you do a, you know, Starable Fest West, let us know. And this year, like my, my old boss, who's the festival director, um, made a, a point of everyone who was like, yeah, we'd love to eventually. He like got back in touch with those people and was like, hey, we're in a virtual space now. I want to set up at least like five Zoom meetings for each person that I can, you know, as many Zoom meetings as I can for each person who says I'm willing to have meetings um, you know are you in it's going to be virtual and so he made it a big effort to expand that industry conversations option instead of just doing the same thing but in virtual and saving a bunch of money like so I I, I will plug Starable Fest because I helped program it I helped um, like organize events and and match up uh, industry meetings with some of the official selection filmmakers and I, I know the jury that went into it I know the programming mandates and I, I stand by Starable Fest as, as a festival that is doing its best to make the most of an online edition even though um, I think they would also agree they'd prefer to do it in person we all would um, yeah. But that's that's one I'll shout out for not you're not going to get a big audience. It's going to be mostly fellow filmmakers. But the whole point of Starable Fest at this rate, it sounds like and moving forward even more so is going to be to connect filmmakers, exciting new filmmakers to um, decision makers who might either develop their current work with them or, you know, pick up their talent and, and try to help them out elsewhere. So that's that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, and I just on that note festivals will usually have like a partner page or a sponsor page or mm -hmm. something like that and that's also a good way to kind of vet like what you might get out of it if it's not going to be audience to sort right. of really see like do they really have the industry connections that they have mm -hmm. uh that's a, that's a good way to 
Yeah. Star. What does it mean to be sponsored by HBO? Does it mean that HBO's mm-hmm. logo is on stuff, or does it mean that a representative from HBO is meeting with the award winners in every category? You know, like what right. does it mean? And feel free to email the festival directors. Like, hey, I saw this on your your Film Freeway site. Can you explain what this means? I, I wasn't able to like get more information. You know, no one's gonna be mad at you for asking questions, and if they do, you definitely should have asked that question, and now you have your answer. That's right. All right. Well, um, I know we had even more questions that came in. Maybe we'll have to revisit festivals as a topic in the future. Um, But as always, uh, and maybe, hey, if you had questions that we didn't answer in the episode, maybe we'll answer them in the bonus content. So subscribe to our Substack, and maybe we'll we'll do expanded Q&A. So if you had questions that you weren't able to get in under the time limit, um, you know, that we were recording this episode in, send them to us, and maybe we'll include them there. And I was going to say one more plug for the Substack in it is this spreadsheet where I have just all of the New York festivals um, like anecdotes from different people to kind of share their experiences and I've sort of bucketed them into ones that I've personally experienced that I either a wouldn't uh, attend ever again or submit to ever again versus the ones I definitely would and then ones that I probably wouldn't based on what other people have said or the ones that I would based on what other people have said and I'm planning to expand that to like all festivals but right now it's exclusive to New York and it's still like 70 festivals on it so yes if you want access to that now or in the future subscribing for five bucks means you get the archive of what we've already shared what we're going to be sharing next um, and everything in between and you also will get to be the first people to tell us what more you want from that place so uh, definitely get involved so you can have a voice all right and on that note let's wrap it up (laughs) thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music Kaylee Brown for our podcast art and our editor Ezra Lee and of course to all of you thanks for listening and you can find links about everyone in our episode description also remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you get notified of all of our new episodes dropping every other Thursday and rate us five stars if you haven't already and not just rate us five stars but like actually write a review because that 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 makes a difference um, and allows more people to find out about the podcast and you know get us into even more households and ear holes so please do also one last time please subscribe to our Substack for bonus content coming out alternating weeks from every episode. So every two weeks, every two Thursdays, you get an episode of this podcast for you. Uh, every It's always going to be free. And then every other week, you'll get bonus content on our Substack. So that's going to be kind of how the schedule is going to work from here on out. We, we hope to see you there. And we also hope to see you in two weeks for our next episode, where we will be covering the complicated topic of asking for money and all of that entails. So be sure to tune in and we will catch you around the staples fuck bye <laughs> <laughs>